Hello and welcome to the Alien Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. My name is John Ingle. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and we're looking now at Minute 40, closing out the week. Uh, this begins with Ash saying it could kill him, and ends with Brett heroically jumping down a ladderway, uh, accompanied by some music that we're going to spend a fair amount of time discussing. Yeah, and well, it's Friday, so this is our last day with Wes Anthony. Uh, Wes, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm having a blast. So we're we're opening in the middle of this conversation that uh, Ash and Kane, or Ash and Dallas, sorry, uh, are having about Kane. And so we're really presented with three decisions or three choices here to be made. Uh, Parker, as we've discussed at length already, has offered one choice. We could just freeze Kane, not worry about it. We'll deal with it when we get home. Ash, his uh, choice seems to be nothing, do nothing, just observe and wait and see. And then Dallas makes a final decision here to remove uh, the face hugger, despite Ash's warning that it might kill him. I think we've all agreed that uh, that freezing it is the best idea. But between the two that apparently are all the ones that are actually in play, do we do we like Dallas's decision here to go ahead and just take this thing off? Come out May. I'm okay with it. I mean, basically anything that's going to you know, sort of help the crew and and help Kane to 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 live and get that thing off of him. I mean, I would definitely prefer that to to leaving it on him. Let's say, okay, the hierarchy would be first and foremost, I would say you should freeze him. Uh, barring that, then, yeah, you should try to get it off him. And then barring that, you would do whatever Ash wants, which is probably just leave it on him until whatever eventually happens, happens. Yeah, I, th- I think that anyone with even a, a glimmer of empathy is going to make this choice, probably. I mean, you see a person, a human being, with an alien on its face, with something down his throat, your choice, what you would want done for you, for sure, is to have this thing removed. I, I think even if it is dangerous. And, and I think this this question of empathy is definitely another signpost of, of Ash and his uh, complete lack of it and what it says about his character. Well, we get this really spectacular move, though, with, the, with this laser uh, cutting tool and... Um, we go in very, very close to watch this thing make this incision that spurts out a yellow goop, which uh, magically starts eating through the deck. It hits the floor, and we watch before our eyes a really, probably, it was probably a pretty simple special effect. That was probably some kind of, you know, I don't know. I know exactly what it was. It was John, what was uh, it? The, well, the Mitch, the floor was made out of styrofoam. Ah. And they built a, they put a little bit of wiring or something underneath it to give it a little bit more of a realistic feel. But apparently, if you take a chunk of styrofoam and you take a bottle of acetone and you pour acetone on styrofoam, this is exactly what happens. And it was as simple as that. Uh, a very low budget but very effective uh, effect shot for sure. See, this is what makes special effects people so much fun to be around and the most dangerous people on earth. <laughs> right. Well, I think we've got that great 80-yard line, that crap's going to eat through the hole. I don't even think we'd see anybody actually say that line. But eating through the hole, it seems to be right at it. And so uh, then we get this, we're going to get a music cue. And Wes, do you want to tell us about that? Okay, let me start off by saying that, yeah, I was going to reference that line you said when when Dallas says that crap's going to eat through the hole. And that sounds pretty dire, doesn't it? Sounds pretty bad to me. You don't want anything eating through the hull, you know. Oh, it's right here. Breach hull, all die. Even had it underlined. Um, <laughs> it's a line from <laughs> Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Um, but so, you know, as, so that sounds pretty bad. And so then they, they start going through the ship looking for, to, you know, to see just how bad this acid is, is going through and going from one deck to another. Um, and once again, there is a music cue. There is, there is a music cue that has been written for this entire scene and none of it has been used. And now we get to this really crucial point and music starts to kick in and it's still not the music that Goldsmith wrote for the scene. It is music that was put in the temp track by the editor, Terry Rawlings, while he was working in the editing bay. He'd been adding temp music all along and they all decided that uh, they loved this music more than what Jerry Goldsmith had, had written. And the, mu the temp music, however, is Jerry Goldsmith music. It was just written for uh, the 1962 John, Ford, uh, John Huston film, uh, Freud which is about Sigmund Freud. It stars uh, Montgomery Clift. I still haven't seen it. And the music that you hear in this sequence, in this, this moment, which I'm going to play for everybody now, this is from the opening credits of Freud. Okay, now, th so this is the music that you're listening to while they're trying to, to find out how far down this, this acid is going. That again, I reiterate, uh, Dallas is worried that it's going to eat through the hull. And this is the music that Jerry Goldsmith composed, which I think you will agree has more of a sense of urgency and, oh no, maybe we're all going to die. <laughs> Um, I don't know. What do you guys think about this? I this is my of all the changes that Scott made in this movie, as far as the score is concerned, this has always been the most offensive one to me. Uh, I and I've never heard this this alternate piece of music you just played. I've just never thought this music fit this scene at all. I I, I think that you're right about too because this should be. I'll just say this. I think the acid blood element of the of the alien is one of the best, most ingenious twists and additions to a villain ever. And this moment is incredible. It, it had to be a complete shock to anyone watching it. Couldn't have possibly predicted this was coming. And then this concept, which I actually like that I think it was a good ADR to have him say it eats through the hole. I, I think you're probably right, Mitch, that they didn't. It wasn't uh, there on the day of shooting. But it really raises the stakes. Um, especially as an audience member, if you're watching this, you don't know what's going on. If that thing's just eating through the floor, you're like, oh, well, that, that seems crazy. But the fact that it might eat through the hole means they might be completely fucked, right? So, yeah. man, that's, that's a dire situation. So then to go into this sort of like chintzy it, – it's funny that it's with it, – it's Freud's mu music from a movie about Freud because it kind of – in context with how they're running through the ship, it sounds like a 
kind of cheesy action adventure movie score. That's just like the context of the image versus the music, I guess. But to me, that Goldsmith bit would have really added a lot. And uh, yeah, it's it's this is the most perplexing choice Scott made as far as leaving out Goldsmith's score to me. I absolutely don't get it at all. I mean, it is just if if you're worried about uh, you know your ship being destroyed by alien acid in their in its bloodstream, yeah, this is the music you want to go with that. That that's what I, that's the way I would have played it anyway. So yeah, it's very perplexing. But again, it's just this is had been this has been going on throughout the film. Goldsmith's original score has just been tampered with and disposed with and, you know, moved around into places where it wasn't meant to be. This is just, and this isn't something that's exclusive to Jerry Goldsmith or Ridley Scott. This is something that uh, can happen very often. It has happened very often. There have been many instances of uh, a composer's score being completely thrown away and replaced with, with something else. Jerry Goldsmith replaced uh, the, the score for Air Force One in 1997. Did, you know who wrote the original score for Air Force One? I couldn't believe it when I heard about it. It was Randy Newman. Wow. I, wow. <laughs> I one of the very earliest one-sheets for, uh, for that film. I saw that it said Randy Newman as the composer. I thought, well, okay, this is not really like him. But then by the time the movie actually came out, uh, he was nowhere to be found. And it was Jerry Goldsmith who had written the music for, for that film. You know, I mean, even uh, a guy as legendary as Ennio Morricone uh, has had uh, his work thrown away. He wrote the score for a film called What Dreams May Come. I don't know if you remember that one with uh, Robin Williams. Yeah, Vincent yes. Ward. Yeah, yeah he, he wrote the music for that movie. And the filmmakers said, uh, no, no, thank you. And then they got rid of it and replaced it with somebody else. So and then maybe one of the most famous instances is uh, Alex North. Uh, Stanley Kubrick asked Alex North to write a score for 2001 A Space Odyssey. And, well, we, we all know that uh, that didn't happen. It didn't pan out. The, the score has been recorded. In fact, it was the, the score that Alex North wrote for 2001 has been rec it was recorded uh, some years ago, and it was conducted by Jerry Goldsmith. So, <laughs> see, everything comes together. It makes me wonder whether, uh, since Ridley Scott was so, he's always been pretty vocal about wanting to do his own version of 2001 with Alien and paying great attention to what Kubrick did in that film. Maybe, maybe he figured he had license to throw out a score any way he wanted to after that. Well, technically, as the director, he does have that license. Yeah. You know, I, I, I won't, you know, the, you know I'm not going to take anything away from the director's authority. That, that is, you know, his, his or her prerogative. You know, I just wish that they were not so cavalier about doing that sort of thing. And I wish that they were not making bad choices the way that, that what this was right here. I consider this to be a really bad choice, you know? Um, and and I, I don't know what was going on in Scott's mind. I don't know if maybe it was more uh, Terry Rawlings than Ridley Scott, because again, Terry Rawlings, the editor was the guy who was laying in all this temp music and maybe he was, you know, had more of an influence over Scott than we know. It's possible, I guess. Yeah. It will always be, it will always be perplexing. This, this one, this is the one I agree with you, John. This is the one that seems yeah. like it's really out of, out of left field. And it, and it, and it's a great, I like how the scene is shot. I like how it plays out. I think it's a great moment in the movie, but it's always been a little bit disappointing. It always felt a little bit, outside of the rest of the film to me. And, and I guess it is because of the score. And it's unfortunate for, for Goldsmith as well, because there were people who 
had or they were familiar with his work and so they they recognized that music and they just they were kind of they, there was instances where people i guess were ribbing him about it oh you're 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 starting to repeat yourself and it's like well no no that's not what was going on he was not repeating himself somebody just took the stuff from the other film and they put it into this film and i just i i feel really bad for him about things like that i don't know maybe i i shouldn't i mean obviously he's he's been ceased for a number of years and and he had a, a very long and successful and lucrative career he was one of the titans of uh of film music but i just i i just feel like this was a guy whose work was really just kind of tampered with and thrown away for this film and 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 it's a shame because again, if you look, go back and listen to the stuff that I've played for you and I'll, I'll be playing more of it on my own show at some point in the future, because I mean, it's just such a compelling story. Uh, I, I think you'll agree that Jerry Goldsmith wrote a, just a crackerjack score for alien. And so much of it was just wasted. I always wondered when I heard the score for outland, whether he was, uh, you know, out of frustration, sort of going back into that kind of alien realm you know i've always found those two scores to be to be kind of similar and complementary in a way yes yes i've noticed that as well there is sort of a, a similarity between the two uh obviously uh, outland is much more of a an action movie score because uh you know peter hyams was basically just sort of you know he was making high noon in space and it's a lot more action oriented um but yeah there's there's similar tonalities there's similar you know sort of a similar feeling in in places between those two scores and yeah, you might be right about that. All right. Well, the so the acid continues to uh, make its way through uh, each of the decks, and the crew continues to chase it. Um, I can see we have another semiotic standard moment here. Uh, Dallas seems to be passing by a food storage area as it has the sign for organic foodstuffs and coffee above it. Uh, but the, just that's just an aside there. So. We're chasing the acid, and we see it. We're going to end the minute with it burning through a set of boots here. Well, I'll tell you one thing they get a lot of mileage out of in the in this sequence uh, is just that insert close shot of the ceiling and the acid dripping through it. They they That shot is such a simple but effective insert, and I think it gets used two or three times in various stages of, of, of acidic destruction happening to it, but it's probably the same plate that they just... Can, you know, watched it, watched it destroy itself, and and it it works every time. Cutting back to that simple insert. All right. Well, I think that's all we got for today. That's all I've got for sure, Mitch. That's it for me, West. Thank you so much for coming this week, being with us. This has been fantastic. I could listen to you talk about film scores all the time, and so I'm going to make sure I subscribe to everything that you're doing on the web. Well, thank you very much. You just leave you with uh, with one last thing that I want to say about uh, Jerry Goldsmith and, and all this music. In case some people were wondering, there is no music that he wrote for the chestburster scene. That didn't happen. So, okay. so uh, they it, knew that was going to be scored dry. Yeah, that was the thing. I, and and obviously he did not have the uh, the supreme and ultimately justified arrogance of a Bernard Herrmann. Because I don't know if you know about that, but when they worked on Psycho together, Alfred Hitchcock explicitly told Bernard Herrmann, no music for the shower scene. Uh, And then Herrmann, of course, thought, nope, and he went ahead and did it anyway. (laughs) And the result is unquestionably one of the four or five most famous pieces of film music ever written. But that didn't happen with this film. It didn't happen with Alien. And I think it's because Jerry Goldsmith knew it wasn't necessary. Because, you know, when it comes to stabbing, 
even stabbing in the shower. Well, that's something we know, even if we haven't experienced it personally. There have been plenty of stabbings through history. Just ask the Girl Scouts. Uh, on the other hand, this movie has something that nobody has ever seen before. And so you don't need to add anything to that music-wise. So everybody, you know, that, that was one instance where everybody kind of realized, okay, we can hang back with the music, and that was no problem. That's a great point. That is really interesting. All right, Wes, tell the listeners one last time where they can find you on the Internet. Uh, my podcast, Musical Notation, is available on uh, BattleshipPretension.com, where I'm part of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it on Stitcher and on Google Play. And you can follow that show on uh, Twitter at NotationPod. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. West Anthony, And you can find uh, also my Facebook page for uh, Musical Notation if you just search for Musical Notation on Facebook. It's there. All right, and you can find us on Facebook as well at our uh, Facebook Alien Minute listeners page. You can also follow us on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher, and uh, make sure and visit our website at alienminute.com. We'll see you next week for minute number 41.